When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man fresh off my couch, Nathan Lee Clark. Hello, Nathan. Has that episode gone out today? It has, yes. Everyone's reeling from the Newcastle game. Desperate. When, when are they going to upload their rage podcast? When, when, when's the juice? And instead they've got an hour of me sort of moping on about my childhood. <laughs> Absolutely. So this is a, a series I've done for VX subs where I've interviewed Bardi and Nathan. You're both very um, willing participants and thank you for, for sharing. It was really good to get to know you both in, um, in, in that level of detail. I learned some, I've known Bardi a long time, nearly a decade. And uh, yeah, I learned some, learned some stuff, stuff about him. It was really good. Hmm. Um, Bardi, we had a message, a demand, rather, from Ankila, who said, mm. I would welcome a Hill report, sir, mm-hmm. and any reasons to climb back up. I'm so exhausted. Always want the team to do well, but Jose not taking any responsibility for unacceptable losses and draws is making it so hard. So how's the Hill looking at the moment, Bardi? <laughs> it looked like it was going to be great <laughs> after the Chelsea game. Suddenly uplands. And then, um, and then at half time, it was brilliant. I was preparing to be a little bit smug and looking forward to this. <laughs> and and then what happened happened. Um, it, it, a few things that that comment, a few things stuck on my mind, and I guess we'll get into it. But I might as well start start now. This whole kind of taking responsibility thing, it's, it's just got me thinking. Like, what do we want Jose to do? Do we want him to come out and just say it's his fault? I'm sorry. There was like um, after the Liverpool game, um, Arteta. Arteta said um, they were much better than us in every single department. I'm fully responsible for that. We want to apologise to our people and our fans. It, I just want to get this clear. Is that, is that what you want Jose to do? To apologise for, for not winning a football match? Yes. Yeah. That's just never going to happen, though. He's never, he's never going to take responsibility. And I'm, I'm just not sure this, this whole kind of pin in blame. The, you said something in one of your tweets this weekend, Wendy, and I think, I think you kind of nailed it there. There's a, a bit of a... There's a lot of people responsible for this. So who do we want to apologise next? To Daniel Levy? You want Daniel Levy to come out and say, yeah, I'm sorry, I fucked up. Or you want Steve Hitchin to say, yeah, it's my fault. I don't like transfer windows. I, I keep <laughs> signing idiots. I mean, don't the, forget the, Sacramento. Sacramento needs to apologise. Ledley King should apologise. I hate that prick. They should all, everyone should apologise when we don't win. It's just this whole kind of, who's going to who's going to take responsibility for this? And I agree that the hill is a pretty shitty place to be at the moment, but there's nowhere else to be now. I don't I don't think he's going anywhere. I just don't see anything happening. And I, I'm getting tired of speaking when he's going to go. If it just, just do something. Somebody take responsibility and have a decision done. 
and then we can move on. Because this whole every week of pondering what he's going to do, what he's not going to do, and what he says, I think we're just getting too far now into analysing everything that comes out of his mouth. Yeah. Anyway, that, that, that's me. Started. <laughs> Started, you mean to go on, Bardi. Exactly, um, on the defensive. Yeah, I mean, I, I do, I think... I, I take your point. I take your point that, like, what's he supposed to say? Um, I, w- I would say anything but that, anything but what he has said. I think it's it sort of sets him up for a an impossible situation. Like, he's basically saying the players aren't good enough. Uh, like, mm, I'm f- yeah. I'm fine, but the players aren't good enough. So what's he going to do? Settle the players? Is that, is that okay. what he's saying he needs to do? Sell all the players that aren't, like, Harry Kane and, and Sun Heung-min and maybe Huey Bear? It's, he's he's making his job he's making his own job harder, right? Yeah, I agree. I, I, he's not good enough, and the players are not good enough. There's as I keep mentioning, it's, it's the perfect storm of shittery that we've just <laughs> just walked into. That we have players making like I don't know. Do you want to start talking? Let's go into the game because then we can yeah start, yeah. Let's do it. Way. Let's do it. Let's do it. Before we do though, very quickly, just mm. a couple of shout outs for some people who've left iTunes reviews or or reviews on other platforms. So first, uh, I think it's Levi from Dallas, Texas. Uh, who said ten thousand rats could probably get the job done by themselves? And I don't disagree with that. I, mm. I think that's a strong. I think it's a strong opinion, and I like it. Also, Aaron Jewell from Brisbane, Australia. Uh, really nice, really nice review from Aaron. Thank you so much. Um, one other thing before we crack on is that we've had a few orders on our website for for merch recently, which uh, reminded me that we've not mentioned merch in a while. But uh, we've got some XG t-shirts and hats. <laughs> got some tote bags. I was so reluctant for us to do just merch that said XG on them and nothing else, and they are like ninety percent of our sales. <laughs> <laughs> they really are, and it's a really—I I think it's a really cool design, actually. So theextrainch.co.uk forward slash shop if that sounds of interest. Uh, yeah, yeah, have a look, check it out. So Newcastle, um, we start with the team selection as ever, same eleven. So nothing really to discuss, although there is stuff to discuss because. Alderweireld and Aurier were absent, which perhaps at the time of the team announcement wasn't a huge talking point. It certainly was post-match, certainly in the case of Alderweireld. And uh, yeah, perhaps we'll come on to that. Blimey, this match, Nathan, was, was tough viewing. I mean, I mean, we got a point, which is, I guess, that's a positive in a match where we were completely outplayed for for much of it, uh, both in terms of like the eye test and expected goals. This is a Newcastle team without their two best players, Callum Wilson and St. Maximin, who was on the bench and came on for the last twenty minutes. A Newcastle team who has been struggling to put anything together in the attacking third, and in this match had seventeen shots in the box, the most they've had under Steve Bruce in the Premier League. Um, where did things go? wrong Nathan uh back in 2019 we know I'm kidding um uh, it's 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 um it's hard to say I didn't even sort of realize that it was the same 11 from the last game obviously it had been a lengthy while I thought yeah. this, is a, this is an interesting lineup I want and then it sort of clicks there's like oh hang on this is literally the same as last time um I don't know. I think it's a good. I think it's a good eleven, and I think that like last time, I was a bit more uncertain about it because um, <clears throat> I thought Lacelso was going to be way off match fitness. Whereas this time, I was, it was sort of made a bit more sense for him to start. I think he still looked a little bit off, and he's still going to take a few more weeks. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We um, we sort of. So after the last game, you said what kind of football did we play, and I said, well, it was sort of very. Very generic football, very back to basics football, very give and take, um, and it was kind of more of the same of that. Um, 
but there's really just sort of well there's limitations to that approach right if the opposition know that your means of attacking is that Lucas and Lacelso attempt to dribble three players each um and if you know that Kane's going to be playing as the number 10 and he's always going to be super direct in basically everything he does um then there's going to be no there's going to be very little patience to attack at least once it's got to Ndombele and beyond it's all all going to be maximum speed as soon as it gets into our sort of front five players and I think that if you know that it's not easy to defend against that and especially if you're Newcastle um but you can prepare specifically for that style of attack um and so I felt that yeah Newcastle somewhat were prepared for that and as a result it was a very back and forth game which like you can absolutely and we have absolutely um won games playing back and forth football but it's just like <laughs> why allow Newcastle to to have their share of the ball to have their share of the game to to have their go of things why allow because yeah, they do have like obviously they're in a pretty dire situation but they do have some <laughs> threat in their attackers right even if they're missing some of their best players that you know they're they're a premier league team they're a team who've who've won games in the premier league right there's some attacking talent there so just like why allow them to have a sniff of anything? Um, but that's the way that we played. We played sort of, yeah, Harry Kane is number 10, two direct wide players, everything sort of maximum speed, everything is attempting to be a counter-attack, even if it's not necessarily the opportunity for a counter-attack. Um, Kane gets the ball in the box a couple of times, smashes it in, you know, super, super efficient, incredible player that he is, really carrying the team. Um but we we allowed Newcastle to participate in that game, and we just we just shouldn't, you know. There's another point there, isn't there? That yes, you, I completely agree that whilst Newcastle are missing their two best attacking players and have have struggled to to score regularly this season, they do have some reasonable attacking players. Like I think Joe Ellington is not a bad player at all. I think he's <laughs> I think he's I think he's better than he looks in a terrible Newcastle team. And I actually sure. think Almiron, mm. I think Almiron's all right as well, you know. I think he's True. he's massively hardworking, which kind of, it makes you notice the effort levels rather than the fact that he's actually quite good on the ball as well and he makes good decisions. Um, but you look at their back line, you look at the fact that their right centre-back is a terrible right-back, Emil Kraft. Their left centre-back is a left-back, Paul Dummett, who's not good. So they're playing essentially two players out of position in their back three. They're then mm-hmm. playing two wingers as wing-backs. Get at that. Get at that defence. Yeah. You know, whenever we did get at the defence, we looked we looked like we could score. We scored a couple from um, from attacks that like we just poured players forward and and scored. So that that should have been the priority, just getting at them as much as possible and putting on the pressure. Whereas the opposite happened. Newcastle pressed high, very high, and I must say, quite effectively, um, really quite effectively, and. It, it worked for them that we struggled to pass through their press and we struggled to maintain possession because we're not a team that does that. We're not a team that, that tries to break the press very often. So we've not been coached in that way and it, it really showed. I, I do want to say before we go on that it would be very easy for us to dunk on Davinson Sanchez after this game. And so we're not going to do that because what happened to him post-game was completely unacceptable in, in the world, not just the world of football. And uh, for us to sort of add further wait to add fuel to the fire would be inappropriate at this time and i want to send love and solidarity to our boy davinson who who is you know a nice decent human being and does not deserve the shit he got on uh, social media so 
He's a really, he's a really nice guy. I knew um, a friend of my wife's is a personal shopper uh, at Selfridges back in the day when he first came to England, and she, you know, like Tottenham do, they send you to, they send you somewhere to help you get settled and just buy your clothes, basically, just someone to help introduce you. And she worked quite closely with him and and his wife, and he's he's a he is a really lovely guy. I have that on official information. It's it's crap what happened to him. So if we talk about the the first the Newcastle first goal, there you know they they had every player covered with their press. Um, so what you need to do is try and play over that, I guess. Try and play through it or play over it. Did it ineffectively. They ended up scoring. Very frustrating, but it's something that Newcastle did effectively throughout the whole game, and we didn't have a solution to it. And this is the thing that frustrates me. We we had a, a long time to find solutions, and we struggled to find that solution. Having said that, our our goals showed some actual attacking, I, th- I think, coaching and automations. So we played out, we did play out from the back for both of our goals. And Huibier found Ndombele between the lines. And we had, in the case of the first goal, five players running on the shoulder ahead of Ndombele, spread out beautifully across the pitch. And uh, he slipped it wide to Lo Celso. And obviously, Kraft, you know, bodges his clearance, but it, it resulted in a goal. Second goal, the ball goes to Ndombele even quicker. And we only have three players charging forward with Lucas and Regalon trying to sort of make up ground as well. So there's obviously an intention there to have five players ahead of the ball spread across the pitch. That was a good sign to me. I, li- I liked that. And then I'm just left thinking, do it more. Do this more. It works. It's working really well. You've got them on the ropes when you do that. Commit players forward. Beat the press. Find Ndombele. And he can make things happen. So frustrating that we just sort of sat sat off Newcastle and, and allowed them to control periods of this match. And, you know, Shelby was looking like bloody Michael Carrick out there, just like knocking the ball around, maintaining possession at times. Oh, my God. Such a frustrating match. Buddy, any thoughts? Um, I think we should sign Joe Linton because he's <laughs> 50% of his Premier League goals have been against Tottenham. It's an <laughs> incredible statistic. I mean, just sometimes you just sign a player just to stop him scoring against you. <laughs> Loan him to the Belgian <laughs> division. But <laughs> exactly, just buy him so he can't hurt us anymore. Just stop making us cry. Yeah, I, I completely agree with what you said, Wendy. When we did go forward, we looked capable of scoring goals. And, you know, we, we walked away with a 2-2, but we, we had one saved off the line. We hit the post. I, there was something about Newcastle. They just, they just caused chaos. And I thought we'd got pretty smart or a lot better at dealing with chaos. But... The, them just throwing the ball into the box was causing us problems and just giving them the time and space to be able to do that. So it's, I don't think it's necessarily the defenders at fault, but I just think there was a, there was something in our Discord. Someone was talking about the gaps in our midfield. Maybe it's in the running order, but I, I, I just thought we looked wide open when they were attacking us. And I don't, I'm not sure whether Lo Celso and Dombele and Schroeberg together, those three, I don't know if there's a the right balance there. Something, something needs to, Something needs to happen on the training ground to get those three working together because at the moment I, I just I think that's probably where our problems are. Yeah, it's a it's a really good point you make about um, the way we defended Newcastle's crosses. So if you watch their second goal, the equaliser, mm. so we set up in a mid block, so we're not deep. It's it's late, it's quite late in the game. We're two one up. We're not deep, so that's that's interesting for a start. It's quite surprising, but we're in a mid block and. There's very little gap between our defence and midfield. So Mm -hmm. we're very compact and we're narrow. That's the really crucial thing. We're incredibly narrow, which means Newcastle can get it wide either side. So they've got Mm. a player spare either side of the pitch. They've got Richie one side and they've got, I think it 
was at that point Mankio on the on the right. And what this means is they, they knock it wide to Richie easily, like they feed it wide to Richie with no problem at all because Tanganga's tucked in. Both our fullbacks are tucked in. So we're saying to them, have it wide. You could have it wide and we're going to head away the crosses. Mm. But then we're so bad at marking and competing for the ball in the air that it seemed like suicide. So this, this cross comes in to the back post. It causes absolute chaos. They win three balls before a Spurs player gets close to it. Um, really risky strategy, I think. Really, really risky strategy. I, I, I'm not impressed. Like watching it back, it just seems so obvious what Newcastle are going to do. They've got overloads in the box. Got Willock who starts his run ridiculously deep and is untracked. It's um, it's a real defensive mess that goal. But there are, you know, what what I've always wanted to see from Jose is some kind of plan and idea of what the future is going to hold. And if he sees his future with going forward with, with Sanchez and Rodon, then there's going to be painful moments like this. There's going to be times where the team doesn't work. And this is going to, this sounds really strange, but it's, it's okay. It's a, there's going to be mistakes and things are going to go wrong if we're going mm-hmm. to try and change how this team is. That's a brand new, that's a back four that's only played together for the second time. And what they faced against Newcastle was a totally different set of challenges than what they faced against Villa. And for the most part, they failed against Newcastle. But that's going to happen if this is Tottenham's defence going forward. You're not going to find the perfect back four immediately. So I'm I'm willing to allow some small mistakes now. It's what it's what you two guys all keep talking about. Something building something now for the future. And my hope is that this is what we're seeing now. But we're going to have to ride out these problems and come. We will come unstuck sometimes when we face a different team playing a different way and fighting for their lives. And um, I think that's what we saw. On, I think that's what we saw on Sunday. Do you think we'll see the same backline next weekend? I I would like I would like to I would like to see that this is a, a commitment going forward of playing Tanganga regularly and giving Rodon the opportunity to play. I I don't think we we're not going to learn anything from Dyer coming in and perhaps Alderweireld is our best defender, but we there has yeah. to be at some point we have to make a decision of moving towards the future. And if Jose believes he's going to be there next season, then he has to go forward now for the rest of this season with those players that he wants to bring through next year and get those guys to buy in now. I think, I think that's the only thing that is the only promising part of all of this is a commitment to a younger set of players who, who are the future of Tottenham, Barrow was. He kind of might have backed himself into a corner in terms of the selection uh, for, for the Man U game because... So here's what we know. Post-match, uh, Mourinho comes out and says he, he couldn't pick Alvarell because he got back late, and Aurier got back late from international duty. Uh, too late to have COVID tests, too late to rejoin training, too late to be considered for selection. And then counter stories start emerging. And it's clear that someone from Alderweireld's, uh entourage has contacted some journalists and said, hmm, this doesn't stack up. This is this is not true. Because, well, we saw Alvareld in um, in the in the training photos from Thursday. So Alvareld got back on Wednesday, had the COVID tests, re- reintegrated into training on the Thursday. So had the right number of sessions with the team, the same number that other players had who were involved. This is very suspicious. And now there are all kinds of stories doing the rounds around like what Mourinho's motivation was here. Did he slip up? Did he simply make a mistake? I don't know, but it doesn't look good. And Alderweireld's clearly pretty unhappy uh, about the sort of insinuation that there's been 
a mistake on his part. Mourinho's quote was something like, there wasn't indiscipline, but there wasn't discipline either. Something along those lines, which could be a mistranslation. It could be sort of, it could be, you know, someone speaking English as a second language to give him the benefit of a doubt. But it's it's all a bit odd. Bearing that in mind, he, he might have no choice but to pick the same back line um, against United. Let me ask you this one, Bardi. This is from Rip Judge. And this is this was sent before the Newcastle game. It says, I know you see Tanganga as a centre-back long-term. Has the game against Villa changed that at all? He might not be Alexander-Arnold going forward, but he's much better than I expected. Plus, given our history at right-back, right-wing-back, it's a breath of fresh air having some defensive prowess in the position. Tanganga as a right-back, you, you've sort of mentioned that you're happy to experiment to a degree, but are you happy with him there? He hasn't mastered the, the role. It's a very specialised role. And, you know, certain individuals... Certain individuals, it, take, it takes time to understand what you're doing unless you're like a gifted player. I mean, Alexander Arnold has got his faults. I mean, I think he gets a bit too narrow sometimes. Maybe that's instruction. He's told to come in. The, um, the Gale header, for example, I thought he was perhaps a little bit out of position there. But I'm happy to see him there. I, I prefer to see him there than Aurier. And I prefer to see him there than Doherty. I think, I think it's good for his progress. And I think it's I think it's important that he gets minutes as a long term centre back. I don't know. I haven't seen enough of him in that role. But as a right back, I don't think he's like a top four um, elite level right back. But I, I think he's probably the best option we have right now. And let me ask you this one, Nathan. This is from Anthony Kennedy, who says, uh, speaking after the game, Mourinho said, "We have situations where we have the ball, and I know already that the ball is going to end with Larice." And Anthony's commentary on that is, "Coaching a possession structure would fix this." How did you feel when you read that quote about uh, our, our possession at the back ending with Larice, and then I presume the ball going forward? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's more of the same kind of stuff that we we sort of alluded to in the intro, which is 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 placing the blame on the players for the passing decisions that that the team make with the ball. Um, like the, the, <laughs> there is nothing ingrained about the team that means that it has to go back to the Reese, right? It's a matter of it's a matter of coaching. Um, I don't know the, the, when <laughs> when this is a matter of tactics on the pitch or whatever. I I try to I try, and people will say I fail, and that's fair enough. But I try to sort of think about Mourinho's perspective. I tried to look at different options and different arguments and, and say, well, this went this way for, for maybe these reasons, but you could argue this, etc. And I, I tried to be a bit sort of balanced about it and consider other options. And I might, you know, come down on one side of the fence and, and say, this is my feeling or this doesn't make sense to me or whatever. Um, obviously, I, I have my dislike of Mourinho, but I, I still want to try and do something towards balanced coverage when it comes to analysis. But when it's a matter of Mourinho just coming out to the press and saying the players are shit and I'm perfect, I I can't. There's no, there's nothing there from me except for anger and to, for him to for me to say that you know <laughs> I don't need to be a coach or a tactical expert or a rocket scientist. whatever to know a football scientist or rocket fucking scientist. whatever to know that that just isn't how you get the best out of people to know objectively that that's wrong not only is it wrong but it's him being an absolute dickhead so when he comes out and he says uh same coach different players i can only have a completely negative reaction to that because it's just it's just bollocks man Uh, he's definitely not the same coach as well i mean that's the other thing to add he is definitely not the same coach maybe uh, i i i don't mind an interpretation that he is the same coach but the game around him has changed a lot and i think that probably i'll be doing a video looking at that in the near future um 
Because essentially, like what what I think I'm gonna be trying to get towards is like we were top of the league in like what as recently as December. Yeah. Is that right? Right, and the squad hasn't changed <laughs> since then. Right, so have the players become shit since then? They've stopped was scoring that... with their first shot, Nathan. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I think there's more to it than that, right? Because we can still score from our first shot now. The problem is that we then concede <laughs> later, right? It's not that we're not still efficient sure. with our counterattacks or whatever. Efficient in the first 20 minutes of the games where you still often are. It's it's the rest of the game. It's letting the opposition back in and conceding late goals again and again and again that is our issue now. Why are we doing that now? And why weren't we doing that then? Is it because the players used to be good and became bad at the turn of the year? Or is it because the circumstances around them have changed? My obvious <laughs> opinion and what I've stated multiple times here is I think that, that football has remodernized that. The yeah. teams who were slower before have got fit and faster. So I, I want to do something a bit more in depth and, and look at that and, and see if I can back my own point up. And if I can't, then I, we need to look for other options. But the idea that this is a terrible squad when we were, again, literally top of the league in December. I think is, is our inability to be able to control games is is the problem. We Unless we unless we smack in four goals and kill the game that way, our inability at, when the scores are tight to just shut the game down properly is is a huge problem. And, and, and it's it's something that hurt us against Newcastle in, in the in the first game against them. And it's hurt us many times this season. And it's just, it's just terribly, just a, a big shame that we've thrown away these points because we'd have been cruising into top four. And this, all of this is on Jose. And the players are to blame, but Jose is to blame as well. So I agree with Nathan. When he says these stupid comments, you know, it is very Tim Sherwood. He should just shut his mouth and just take the result and just accept and then go to, back to the training ground and figure out why we're unable to, to master games in the last 20 minutes. Is it a fitness thing? Is it a tactical thing? Because we, we start really well and we have... We have a really high um, record of scoring within the first 30 minutes, but our last 30 minutes, our last 15 minutes continues to be abysmal. It's a really good point about um, seeing out games through control. And, you know, if he hadn't damaged the relationship mm. with Harry Winks so much, he would be the ideal player to come on and just keep the ball. Like, Huey Pierre and Winks are capable of amassing a huge number of passes between them. Just Even if the ball's just going sideways and back to the centre-backs, that's sucking the life out of the game. That's forcing the opposition to move forward and, and that leaves gaps in behind. That would be really helpful when we're uh, in these tight matches like Barley says. I, I do think um, Huyberg, since he's, you know, since we drove him into a wall, he, his, his performances have dropped. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely not the same player he was. And that's, you know, players do have dips of form and we have no other alternative to him, but been, he has been thrashed through this yeah. season and that 50-50 is a tackle that he was going through that player and winning and that's that, that's a pure he played a lot of minutes yeah. for Denmark as well and then comes straight back in I think Guardiola was, mm. spoke this weekend about players international players and the minutes that they had but we he we properly he's a chef who's, who's done double shifts for five months and is now sending out veggie burgers instead of meat burgers he's all over the place yeah, really like massive downturn in his form, um, for sure, for sure. And you know, Oliver Skip coming back for next season will be huge in that regard. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. I think Nathan's point's really good about the game evolving and um, and Mourinho perhaps just not adapting to it. I, I do also think, and this is incredibly speculative because of course, like how would we possibly know? But I definitely think like as he gets older and his age gets further away from the the players that he's managing. I think he's struggling to connect more with them. And I think certainly younger players are also more aware of like what's okay and what's not okay. I don't think locker rooms are necessarily the same place as they were 10, 15 years ago. And uh and maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe like if if you're treating if you if you if he behaved with Delhi how he has this season 10 years ago, maybe the other players would have been completely on board with that and been like, yeah, Delhi just needs to work harder or leave. Maybe that's less the case now because Delhi's their friend and he's a he's a he's a character in the dressing room and actually it's not okay to single a player out and to like go in on him publicly a few times. Yeah, I'm speculating. I mean, it, I'm speculating. There is a bit of a speculation. It's like saying that when old managers they they unable to do this repeat the same things, but there are plenty of of old managers who are probably more successful right now than than the younger guys. I just think it's a um, I, I just think. The Premier League has changed. There is a, um, I mean, the weirdest thing, if you think about it, evolution is in our, our last two league, our last defeats in the league. Well, two about two out of three anyway. It's been to Moyes and Steve Bruce, who are hardly, hardly young, oh, kind mate. of up and coming managers with a, with a vision of how the beautiful game should be played. Forward to seeing Nathan's video on this because the Premier League has changed and there are the teams, there's a lot of quality throughout the league now. And even a, a bad team like Newcastle are able to, String some games, string some performances together with the players that they have, and Mourinho has to adapt. And I thought he might have, but I, it, obviously he, he hasn't adapted. Yeah. Well, like I said, they had an effective press. Newcastle, who are like seventeenth in the league, had had a really effective press, a well coached, well drilled press in this game. That's mm-hmm. that's a, that's a change. I think the idea about sort of um, a, a generational divide, where where yesterday's man management techniques. I, I I do think that like um I don't think that's true on like the the larger scale like I think if if you take 
um like an 80s coach today he's gonna he's well he's gonna say essentially racist and homophobic things and obviously that's not gonna go down well with modern football players um i think that i i'm open to the idea i do think there's possibly some truth to that but i think that um like essentially Mourinho won the league six years ago with chelsea and okay that was an older chelsea group and and some of them had played under him before and all that kind of thing but I I'm not completely sold on that. To be honest, I think that essentially, um, in this world, in this industry, where like everyone is a super elite of the elite, and everyone is ridiculously driven, and everything is about results, um, players will put up with a hell of a lot if they're winning, you know. And I think yeah. that if Delhi and Alderweireld and even Dombele are all forced out of the squads and we're winning all the games, the players will say, well, clearly this is the correct thing. But if everyone, you know, not, not on Dombele, but there's various ins and outs all the time, things are uncertain, and if you're in his good books, that's great, but suddenly you're not, and he's shit-talking you to the press, and he's ignoring you in training, and you're losing games, that's when the players who aren't currently excluded are thinking... Am I about to be excluded? Why? I don't understand what we're meant to do in possession, blah, 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 etc. And I think that um, I think that, that what happens on the pitch completely dictates, not completely dictates, but dictates massively, has a huge influence on, on how players receive his behaviour. And I think that, and this is sort of something that we talked about towards the end with Pochettino, that he's, a, he's a, mm. as much as he's a modern coach, he's a very authoritative coach. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, cameras around the place and all that kind of stuff is like, when you're winning, you're like, well, I guess this is just the level of dedication that it takes. And when you're not winning, you're thinking, I wish this fucking weirdo would get off my back. And I think it's the same with Mourinho. When, when you're winning, you think, wow, I mean, he it's, it's edgy. Like, it's tense. It's hard. It's unloving. But, like, it gets results. And when it's not getting results, you think what a fucking prick like why why is this man in my life it's i think it's you know uh, yes i do think things have changed a little bit i think Mourinho is is a smart man who's capable of reading players and situations and adapting himself in terms of man management a bit but i think mainly he it's the same methods without the winning football i'm not sure he's as smart as he thinks you know so i think it's a great point. no one's I, as smart as he thinks he is I, I, I think that's a really good point you've made but i'm just reflecting on like the danny rose situation where danny rose stuck up to him in a documentary um and you watch Mourinho in front of the cameras and he's Billy Big Bollocks and he's like Mr. Authority, he's Mr. Motivator, <laughs> he's Mr. Demotivator. Um and then you see Danny Rose confront him and he just melts into a puddle. He doesn't know how to handle it, and he's like, Yeah, sure, you go see Mr. Levy. I understand why you'd want to go and do that. And it's like a very different character. I'm not sure he's as But then having said all that, Alderweireld signed the contract because of Jose Mourinho. He signed the contract because he's like he's one of the best man managers but it's, in football. It's the idea of Jose Mourinho, right? Right. It's Jose Mourinho when he when he's first arriving, when he's first fresh in, when he comes to meet you and he says, "Toby, I tried to sign you for Man United. I'm so glad. I, yeah, everything's so exciting. Yeah, I'll sign a new contract. Brilliant. Mourinho has won the lot." And then a year later, and he's like, "Well, he didn't come back from international duty until yesterday, when you know full well that you've been back several days and you passed your COVID test and." you trained really well 
it's a different scenario, you know. And again, it's what we've talked about multiple times with if Mourinho's still around, is he still going to attract players? Yeah, yeah, he's still going to attract players because it will still take a long time for the message to catch up for, you know, the 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 other players who share an agent with Alderweireld to say, well, actually, it's, it's not all like you think it is. And even then, it will fall on deaf ears because, again, players will say, here's a manager who's won the lot. I, I, I'd love to win the lot. I'd love to play under him. And, and it will go on and players will sign with him and everything's brilliant. And they sign new contracts and they're drawn into a club. They're drawn into a club who maybe like aren't in the Champions League, but Mourinho's in charge. So, so that's exciting. They have the potential to win the league. And then a year on, he's telling you that you're not good enough to the press when you you don't understand what you're meant to do with the ball. Yeah, yeah. It also explains Kane as well. It explains why Kane would still be on side because in his eyes, Mourinho's still getting the best out of him. He's still got the he best is. out of him. A hundred percent. Yeah. And and I and, and Kane is completely legitimate to feel that way. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Uh, one more thing um, on, on this match before we move on to some questions. This is from Adam TDM who says, And Dombele was up and down today. Is that what we should expect of him? Would he be better in a possession-based team or would his risky passing be throttled in a Guardiola team, for instance? I'm interested in what you both thought because I thought Ndombele was one of the few players to come out with real credit from this game. But he Basically, anything good we did it in the match came through him. Like his passing was really, really good. Um, I don't know. I don't know what more we could have expected in a, a game with this pattern. Nathan, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it's kind of like he he has encapsulated what we talked about earlier, which is like really lethal, rapid attacks, some brilliant through balls from Ndombele, some some quick, you know, receiving the ball with defenders and immediately setting the attack away with excellent passing, which is, you know, which is definitely a facet of our game currently and this particular game. And then also not as our sort of, creative central midfielder being someone to take the ball slow the tempo you know fake it one way walk it the other pass it to the fullback receive it back from that same fullback fake it another way play it to the center back receive it back from the center back fake like you're gonna ping it to the opposite corner and then play it back to that fullback you just played it to when suddenly the game's over and everyone's asleep because you're just right and normally isn't really that player but he definitely has like he could be coached to be that player essentially mm-hmm. right there are elements of that within his game we have seen spells of that he used to do bits of that at leon right he he's capable and his instinct is to drive for the immediate through ball his instinct is to beat his player burst into a sprint draw another one in set a player through with a with a perfectly weighted through ball but he can be coached to slow it down at the right time, to recognise when we have the lead, to recognise when the opposition are getting back into the game, to slow things down, to control the game, to be the player who's getting the ball over and over and over again. We're not seeing that from him. And I do think that... I, I don't think it's because he's incapable. Yeah, I would agree. And um, Bardi, I want to get your thoughts on this one. This is from Sean Hurl, who says, Could you discuss the media treatment of our players whilst on international duty? Scandalous unsettling of the squad as we head into an important part of the season. So this is like a, a week out of date really now, and, and Sean did ask this uh, a week ago, but I do think it's an interesting talking point. How sensitive are you, Bardi, to some of the stories that come out? I mean, out I don't think it is out of date, week? because a match of the day last night, they immediately after the game, they started discussing Harry Kane's future. And... I think this is this is just something that is is going to continue to happen to a club that's not in the Champions League. It's just it's just a matter of fact. If you've got 
amazing assets in your team and you're not playing in the Champions League, naturally those players are essentially up for sale because other clubs in the Champions League will want to buy them. So I don't think it's a surprise. It happens all the time. Um, but how do I feel about it? I, I doubt Harry Kane reads his mentions. I doubt Harry Kane even looks at his Twitter account. So I don't think it bothers them that much. I'm sure there must be, um, I'm sure their, their agents pay attention to it and will report back to him, the agents, manager, whoever. But Harry Kane is wise enough to know that he's the best, I think he, well, he is the best striker in the world right now. And it's, people will be discussing his future. So I, I don't think, I don't think it's a scandalous unsettling of the squad. It's just, this is just football. This is what it is. If you, you remove yourselves from Tottenham and just start following, I don't know, another club, it's the same conversation regarding star players that won't be the Champions League next year. And what about the bail reporting, the way that landed? So essentially he had to be asked the question a second time to clarify the following day because it went down so badly. When it, I mean, in many ways, Bale was just answering a question factually. Bale just did a Gareth Bale. He just answered the question like he did. He doesn't, he doesn't, hmm. doesn't toe any line other than the Gareth Bale line, and that's fair enough. He answered the question correctly, and he stated facts, and people got all upset about it. Nathan, are you worried at all about uh, this sort of reporting? Do you think it's do you think it is unsettling? Uh, it's unsettling to like an unhappy squad, to like a, a squad that is already unsettled by you know the football that they're playing and everything else. Maybe yeah, I think so. Um, but I think that again, like like we talked about with man management, if you're winning games, people players don't you know it's not that big a deal like walker left when we're when we're playing well and stuff um and specifically with bale like you're giving him too much credit i think that he is like um pining after a starting place at real madrid while he's playing for us uh and and there is there is some criticism for him there for being that sort of frank about it uh, to, to me you know it's 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 funny the 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 sort of awkward love triangle going on um funny and sad but um that's just kind of gareth bale and i think that you kind of know that to an extent uh i don't that i don't think that is like a um just sort of an honest appraisal of his contract situation at all what he said really okay i've read that totally differently to you well that with his agent has come out afterwards and said oh he was just sort of being honest to his contract but i think bale is saying no i i, I wanted to get fit for the euros and i want to go back to real madrid because <laughs> because he still sees himself at, at his ripe old age as someone who should be starting for real madrid and scoring champions league winning goals you know maybe maybe i mean i i think i saw it a little bit more as in terms of perhaps pandering to real madrid fans and and saying the right thing in case he does end yeah. up going back well, or or he's been dropped out of the team by Mourinho yeah. and he's, he's, he's actually a bit sick of it. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I think it's more unsettling to the fans than it is to the squad. I think this is yeah. the, this is the problem. Like we're all we've had a stressful season, man. This is this has been a difficult season in many ways to deal with, and so we're very sensitive. And stuff about Harry Kane, our beloved striker, talisman, potentially greatest player of all time, leaving at the end of the season is not a very nice thing to be forced to consider. And so naturally we feel quite uncomfortable about being forced to consider it. And uh, yeah, it is unsettling. I don't like to think about Harry Kane leaving. They've been trying to sell Harry Kane for five years. This is this is not new. You can do a Twitter search, Harry Kane to leave Tottenham and set, set a year of 2017, 2018, hmm. and it'll be the same thing. So I don't think Harry Kane gives a shit. Harry Kane will, Harry Kane will keep scoring goals and the moment he gets fed up with leaving top, of being at Tottenham, he's gone. That's it. He he, he can basically decide his future. Um, I hope he chooses to stay with us. But then I wouldn't be surprised if he says, you know what, I've had enough. And off he goes. 
I think I don't think he would go abroad. I think I think he would quite happily move to Manchester City. Um, I think the Premier League, being the all-time Premier League um, record goal scorer, is something that he really, really wants. So I think if he was to leave, he would try to stay within the Premier League. I mean, he'd score so many goals at City; it would be ridiculous. You know, don't oh my god, yeah. Man City on steroids. Yeah, um, Chris Summersell did some sort of rudimentary numbers on Kane's shot and expected goals numbers when we have greater than fifty percent possession, and it was absurd. So imagine him at City. Oh my god. A um, couple more questions before we sign off. So this one, again, this is a, a week or two old. This is from Crohn's Cast, who said, what do you guys think about the links with Henderson at Man United? Do you think he'll be a good long-term replacement for Lloris? Are there any other keepers you think we should be looking at? Bardi, as our, as our keeper expert, how are you feeling about this? Actually, in, how are you feeling about this um, alongside the fact that Lloris has had a real resurgence in form recently? I, I thought he had a very good game against Newcastle. Uh, I thought he played well. Um... He has he has kind of cut out the errors. I was quite impressed with um, because obviously I, I missed the game yesterday because it was Easter Sunday and some and having a family dinner took precedence over over watching Tottenham in these times. It was nice to have everyone together and um, having dinner legally within guidelines was great. But um, I did catch a match today and I, I was really impressed by um, Pope. I thought he made some insane save and he really oh, yeah, um, he did. impressed me. Although he did let him a soft goal. Um, the, the goalkeeper situation in Spurs is, I have been harsh on Hugo because of, uh, of my expectation level for him is so high. So he starts at a really high place. I do think he makes errors, but if you, if you ponder our goalkeeper and then you look at elsewhere on the pitch where we need investment, I still think goalkeeper is not a priority. I would rather we spent money and invested in our defence rather than rush after the goalkeeper. Uh, Henderson at United. Henderson looks fine. I don't, there's, there's nothing, he looks like a good goalkeeper. I don't think there's anything spectacular there, but we need to see more kind of game time that he's playing. Long-term solution for Hugo, I think, and I'd, I'd like to come back to this one, revisit when we've, um, we do a proper kind of talk about it, because there's a few goalkeepers out there that I, that I like. So Lloris now has, so we have the greatest difference between our goals conceded and expected goals conceded in the league, which I think speaks to the fact that Lloris has overall had a really good season and you know I went in on him a bit a few weeks ago and I think I went way too early and uh, I, I was getting swayed by a, a patch of poor form and maybe I needed to stand back and say actually overall Lloris is still fine I, d- I do think we need to start think- I still think we need to start thinking about his long-term replacement and I'm not against us signing a goalkeeper mm-hmm. this summer I'm really not against it like if, it, if the right keeper becomes available we just got to do it because they're not easy to, to get um, but I do think there's something quite interesting priority. we spoke about earlier in the pod I think it was a quote from, from Jose about the ball always ended up at Lloris I do think for any team that wants to play position football and use the goalkeeper as a method to move the ball around the pitch Lloris isn't that guy for that and I do think he causes us a few issues there so if we if our goalkeeper does end up with the ball so often, we need a better goalkeeper and a better goal, better footballing goalkeeper. Nathan, any thoughts? Are you, are you happy with Lloris at the moment? Yeah, yeah. And again, uh, 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 as Bardi's already said, like there are more urgent things. Um, I would like to see us um, maybe think about a, a young, young keeper to come in and, and be third choice. I don't know what you or what the club think of uh, Whiteman and Austin. Um, 
obviously Joe Hart needs to be released from his contract immediately. Uh, but basically, I think that like we want to keep our captain in place. Um, Larice is still one of the best shot stoppers in the world. Yes, he has his limitations. And yes, when we are looking for replacements, which we should be looking for always, we want to be looking for more rounded keepers, keepers who are better with their feet. Um, but while we have um, a crisis at right back, uh, major issues at centre-back, depth issues in midfield, um, Lloris has to remain our first-choice keeper, and, and we can make some moves under him. Um, I think Henderson is, is, is ready for first-team Premier League football and, and therefore is probably not a, a match for us. Um, I don't know. I, the thing is that, like, I don't know who the good young goalkeepers are. That's not really like an area for me. So yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, last question. This is from Joel Brooks, who says, "Guys, I've been meaning to write to you with regards to your constant Lucas bashing on the show. Yes, he can sometimes run into nowhere, but his attitude is fantastic. And let's not forget about that night in Amsterdam. In a season where the players' attitude has come to scrutiny, I do think it's unfair that he gets so much criticism on the show, and I don't understand why he's not appreciated more." Um, Lucas was dog shit yesterday. <laughs> Absolute <laughs> toilets. This is really, really harsh that Joel's obviously asked this question after the Villa game, where he was key in the way that we got at Villa, and now we're going to answer it after the Newcastle game, where he was essentially absent. The thing is about Lucas is I honestly will never, ever, ever forget Lucas Moura because of what he did in Amsterdam. Honestly, so much appreciation for that performance. The greatest second-half performance I've ever seen from a, a, an individual player. Um, some of the some of our greatest recent goals actually absolutely fantastic footwork. Um, Kois 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 will be a meme forever, <laughs> and you know he he comes across as as very earnest and very sweet whenever he's interviewed. The the piece they did with him and Vinicius was mm-hmm. really moving and absolutely delightful. I just don't think he's that good. I just don't think he's that good. And when he's had like a run of games like this, where he's played four or five games in a row, where you've been thinking, "Yep, Lucas is playing well. This is good. This is good. This is good." What you know is that follows a, that's followed by a slump, and that's always been the case with Lucas. I don't I don't see it changing anytime soon. Um, and, and that's it. I mean, I don't I don't have anything against him particularly. He's not really my cup of tea as a player. I prefer players that have vision and and passing ability Lucas is sort of head down and dribble but I appreciate that he's a speedster and people love seeing footballers that, that burst past a man it's like Aaron Lennon in, in his heyday would just zip past a man but then I'd be going where's your final ball Aaron where's your final ball where's the pass where's the pass you know it's different different players uh, appeal to different fans um, so nothing against Lucas personally I think he's a, a cult hero forever and ever and ever amen but uh, if he leaves at the end of the season I'm not so we keep talking about control and the controlling games and seeing games out. And Lucas is not a player that you can play a controlled uh, type of football with. He's he's a player that lives and, and and blossoms in chaos. And unfortunately, that's not how I want my football team to play. Even I don't mind playing defensive football if there's a, a method and plan to it. And just in the same way, I, I enjoy playing attacking football if there's a method to it. Lucas is not a method man. He is a mess and... If you're trying to, if your tactic is to create chaos and unsettle defenses, then he's your guy. But if you need to keep the ball and be smart with it, he's yeah, he's terrible at that. And Nathan, what are your what are your final thoughts to round up the conversation on Lucas? I think that, especially now, it's it, again as as you've already sort of touched on there in terms of control, is that he is sort of encapsulating the issues that we have with the manager 
in that he is yeah a player who can attack directly attack attack at rapid uh uh pace and cause chaos but can't control and i think that um while we might have issues with with lucas sort of personally uh, a dislike of his play style that kind of stuff um He's also the player who sort of most captures the issues with our playstyle as, as a squad as well. Yeah, he is he is the poster boy for a, um, a a lack of an attacking plan. You know, he's I don't think there's any way you can coach triangles into him or harnesses or anything like that. He just <laughs> would go in one ear straight out the other. So yeah, he is he is the poster boy of of not having a plan. Mm. He tries hard, really hard, and he makes it up as he goes along. And there are strengths of that. We've yep. seen him that work for us. We've seen that work for him. But there are also big limitations to that. And those limitations, I think, are the story of our season. And it's harsh to sort of put all of that on Lucas's feet. And I think that perhaps we have sort of done that unconsciously to an extent, um, which, which again is harsh, but it's also a reality of of the way he is as a player. Mm-hmm. And when I said that Lucas was, was dog shit against Newcastle, I mean, obviously I meant it. He was absolutely terrible. But equally, so was Carlos Vinicius. And so sure. so was Son Heung-min in the second half. Absolute yep. dog shit. So I, I don't think it was, it was a case that it was down to individual players. I think it was something wider than that. But there we go. Say something positive to end on, Bardi. Um, Harry Kane's second finish was insane. That I just... It was. It was. Oh, the whip on it. That Whips was insane. It. You know, when you get to the stadium early, I know you like to do this, Chris, get to the stadium early and watch them train and just watch them ping it in. There was a proper little ping mm. in that. And the just, you, that's a difficult finish across the goalkeeper touch. And Massively. he's so good that he made it look like he was in his backyard just smacking it past his daughter. He's that good. So two two things about that. Firstly, it was mm. a really good ball from Ndombele, but what yes. made it into yeah. a good ball was Harry Kane's first touch, which was immaculate. And then I went back because I completely agree with you, buddy. I went back and I paused mm. it before he shot it. And I was just looking at the position and looking at his body shape and thinking, how many players would just smash this near yep. post and it would blaze over the bar or go narrowly wide at the near post? But no, Harry Kane does the right thing. He's across goal, low, hard into the bottom corner. Absolutely delicious. Yeah, he's not that goalkeeper's not chump either. And to get beat across him, that was pure speed and pace and just yeah, just pure technique. It was a wonderful, wonderful finish. That, and yeah, it it doesn't get I'm glad we're giving it some some love now because Harry Kane gets a an Endobele's ball was good, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an open goal tapping, here you go. There was still an awful lot to do. He's taken like a half a chance and created something and just smacked it in and created a goal from it. Yeah, it's a, Brilliant, brilliant player. Love him very much. Stay for life. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, D Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help.